I'd like to invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Revelation chapter 1. The book of Revelation is the last book of the Bible. It's page 991 in church Bibles. Revelation chapter 1. Now you may wonder, why are we as a church studying the book of Revelation? A number of months ago, back in February or March, uh, I realized that our sermon series in Titus would at some point draw to a close, and I knew Malachi was next, but wasn't sure what we would do after that, and so that's about the time of year in which I'm praying and asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want us to do next? And so, just during some prayer time, just praying generally, I'm not usually panicked yet by February or March, just generally praying, and I just kind of had this sense, or maybe this idea, I was like, what if I just tried casting lots uh, and see what comes up? And so 66 books of the Bible, I put in 66 numbers, and I pray, and I pull one out, and it's number 66. It didn't take me long to figure out which book of the Bible that was. And as soon as I got that number, immediately I felt my breath sort of catch in my chest, and I thought, ooh, ah, that would be hard. And so I just sort of uh, thought to myself, well, you know, God, rarely does God use that method for choosing the book that we're going to study together as a church. So I didn't pay too much attention to it. And I just was like, well, who knows what that was? I'll just kind of get on with other things. And so weeks go by and I just continue to pray here and there, Lord, what do you want us to do as a church? And maybe a couple of weeks later, I'm praying about it again. And I think maybe I'll try casting lots again if for no other reason than to negate what I got the first time. Because they're like, okay, well, you get two different numbers, then clearly God's up to something different. And so it won't be the book of Revelation. So I put in again 66 books in, and I pray, and I pull out number 66. Now at this point, I'm like, okay, it's starting to get a little clearer, but still... I'm rationalizing to myself, I bet all the Lord wants is for me personally to read the book of Revelation, and then he will tell me what he really wants me to preach on once I'm through. So I do that, uh, and I don't say anything to anybody, anybody, about the casting lots bit, but I do normally ask the elders of the church if they would help me, if they would pray along with me, and if they have any inclination of what the Lord might be saying, and so I ask the elders... And they agreed to do that. And uh, Bill Askell, who you're going to hear from uh, kind of at the end of the service, the chairman of our elders, set aside some time in one of our elder meetings for us to kind of share what we had heard. Uh, It was a Zoom meeting. And so I remember being at home looking at everybody's picture on the screen. And uh, Bill says, Jim, do you want to say anything about what you might have heard so far that would kind of start the conversation? And I was like, nope, I don't have anything I want to say. So I don't tell anything about casting lots. I don't say anything about any of that. And I'm just going to listen. And so uh, Bill says, okay, well, let's just kind of go around and wherever you are on my screen, like, we'll just kind of ask. And so I'm sitting there listening and I hear Revelation, 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 the book of Revelation. 11, at least 11 out of the 14 elders specifically mention the book of Revelation by name. It's either the only book or one of two or three books that they mention. 
And I'm sitting there listening. This is all independent. Nobody knows what I've been through. They've all just gone. We haven't had any conversation about it collectively together. And I'm just, I'm going around and I'm like, okay. Because I'm, I'm writing each one. Of the, and then I stop. I'm like, well, obviously I know what it is now. So we get to the end and all of us as elders were like, well, it's pretty clear what God said. And so I went back and admitted that I had cast lots. And it also came up twice as the book of Revelation. Now, I tell you that because, number one, it's, I, it maybe give you encouragement that we're not here by accident. We're not here by chance. It feels like this is clearly what God wants us to do. But I also tell this to you because I think this is instructive for how God often works in revealing himself to us. You see, the first time that I cast lots and got the book of Revelation, God was clearly in that choice. But it wasn't clear to me. <laughs> that God was in it. It was his involvement was more hidden. It was more masked. To be honest, when I got that number, I'm like, well, this could mean a number of things. I don't know what exactly what this means, but maybe God's in this. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's doing something else. The second time I got the number 66, it felt more like God was in it, but I still was thinking perhaps the Lord just wants me to read the book of Revelation and not that we should do this together as a church. The third instance where I see all of these elders, godly men who I trust, who I know didn't just say they would pray, but actually prayed, listening to the Lord's voice, and I'm watching them all in unanimity say it's the book of Revelation. At that point, it was blatantly clear. Now, please listen carefully. to. I'm not saying God wasn't involved the whole time. In fact, that is what I'm saying. He was involved the whole time. The thing that changed was how blatant it was to me, how clear it was. And this is often how God works. When he is revealing himself, sometimes it's very mysterious. It's very hidden. It's unknown. And as you go along through multiple things, you think, is God really in this? Is God here? What's God up to? Am I making this up? Am I doing it myself? But sometimes often at the end of the process. God does something which kind of pulls back the curtain, which allows you to see, no, I've been with you the whole time. All those things before was clearly me, and he very blatantly, very explicitly, very clearly reveals, no, I'm involved. I say that because we're starting into the book of Revelation. And I want to show you how while God is often hidden, in the book of Revelation, he's doing some very blatant, very clear, very wide open kinds of things. And that's important for us to understand to make sense of what's going on in our world today. So let's dive into the verses that were read for us. I'll read them again because blessed are the ones who read aloud the words of this prophecy. Verses four and the first part of verse five. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So this kind of has an introductory sort of feel. It's a book, it's a letter, 
And the question I want you to ask, and you can answer out loud, I know here in the sanctuary it's kind of hard to answer with masks on. Uh, You can answer out loud if you want. But question, who's the author of the book of Revelation? I heard two answers. Both are correct. I heard John. It does say that. See, John to the seven churches. So John. And I also heard God. He is also the author of the book of Revelation. And what we believe is that both God and John are involved in writing this book. Now, I do think this is true about all the rest of the books of the Bible as well. But in just a minute, I'm going to show you what John does and what God does in Revelation to make it blatantly clear that God is involved in authoring this book. And in order to see how blatantly clear it is, I'd like to show you what happens at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke just simply by way of comparison. This is what Luke 1 says when Luke writes down who the author of the book is and how the Gospel of Luke came to be. He says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. That's the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. So question, who's the author of the Gospel of Luke? Luke is, but also God. But God's authorship in this verse is more hidden. God's involvement in the Gospel of Luke is more hidden. But watch what happens in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to do a quick tour of the book. So get ready. We're just going to turn some pages, and I'm going to show verses to you. Revelation 1, start in verse 10. On the Lord's day, I, John, was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Verse 19 of chapter 1. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Jesus very explicitly is going to show John stuff and and give John things, and John's job is to write write that stuff down. Chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. And then comes what appears to be direct dictation. Jesus says these things, and John writes them down. Verse 8, to the angel in the church in Smyrna, write. Same thing. Verse 12, same thing. Verse 18, same thing. Jesus is saying, this is what I want written to these various churches. Write it down and give it to them. Chapter 3, verse 1, same thing. Verse 7, same thing. Verse 14, same thing. Chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I first had heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And so God shows John, Jesus shows John certain things, Chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. Jesus is showing him particular things about the future, and John is writing them down. Chapter 10, verse 4. 
And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. So John's just writing what he's shown and then all of a sudden we get to a point where God is like, no, 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 this part I don't want written and so God steps in and says, don't write that part down. Well, we keep going, chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. Verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. Now as a side note, we don't get a lot of direct quotes from the Holy Spirit. But here you have one. This is the Spirit speaking out loud. And John hears what the Spirit says and he's like told, okay, well that's what I'm supposed to write down. So he writes it down. Chapter 14, keep going with me. 15, 16, 17, 18. Chapter 19. Verse 9, then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Chapter 21, verse 5, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Who is the author of the book of Revelation? God. John is clearly involved. But do you see how blatant God is making it that he's involved? If you go through the Gospel of Luke, you will not find statements like this. I believe God is just as much involved in the writing of Gospel of Luke as he is in the writing of the book of Revelation. My point is not, is God involved? My point is, look how blatantly clear God is making his involvement in authoring the book of Revelation. He wants us to know, yes, John is involved, that's why his name's right there. But it's God who is brought to the forefront as the author. Just as much he is author of Luke, but in Luke, God's authorship is more hidden. It's not as blatant. It's not as sort of clear. In Revelation, God is going out of his way to show us, I wrote this stuff. This isn't just John's ideas. These are not just human thoughts. Jesus said, I wrote that letter, and 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 I wrote that phrase, and I told him not to write that, and I showed him this, and I said this, and I did all those things. And in the book of Revelation, God's authorship is bought, brought to the forefront and it's very blatant, very explicit, very clear that God is the one who authors the book. Which is why in our passage, John doesn't spend a lot of time on himself. He just simply says, I'm John. And he spends more time introducing God. And so let's look together at how God, who is the emphasized author of the book, is presented. John says, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. How God is introduced at the beginning of the book of Revelation, 
is he is introduced as the triune God, meaning that we believe in one God, eternally existing as three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is the Trinity that we're talking about here. God the Father is he who is, who was, and who is to come. That is a reference to God the Father. That is a reference to the divine name Yahweh, the name I am, the name that is given to Moses back in Exodus 3 and 4. This is a reference to God the Father. The next phrase is a little confusing. And from the seven spirits before his throne. Do you see that footnote A next to spirits in the NIV? That tells you to look down at the bottom of the page. And there it says, that is the sevenfold spirit. Meaning that what we understand to be going on here is because the word seven represents, especially in Revelation, completion, the spirit, Holy Spirit, is called the sevenfold spirit, meaning he is the fullness of God, the completion, the spirit of God. And this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, in verse five, Jesus Christ. So we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who are presented to us as the triune God who is the author of this book. Now the Trinity can be something that's tricky to understand. What does it mean we have one God eternally existing in three distinct persons? So I'd like to use an analogy with you which I think helps make sense of how the Trinity sort of works together and make sense of how John presents them here in this passage. Recently, uh, a couple of my children and I have been watching this, uh, it's a Netflix show called The World's Most Extraordinary Homes. So we, I don't know how we found this, but we decided we watched this show and we watched an episode, for example, the first one we watched was about some homes in Spain. And so they go through, and on the show, what they do is they've got uh, these couple of people who go and visit these weird but extraordinary homes. And then what they do is they often interview the architect, and sometimes they'll interview the builder, and then they interview the people who are living in those homes. And like the first one we saw was this big home made out of nothing but rusted metal. It was built into the side of the ground. Uh, it was, I guess, cool looking, but they go through and they talk to the architect and they talk to the builders and they talk to the people that live there. Like, what's it like to live in a rusted metal home? Another one was this giant circle on the top of a hill which every room opened to the outdoors. It was, again, very cool. But they talked to the architect, they talked to the builder, they talked to the people that live there. Well, thinking about the world's most extraordinary homes, if you're willing to consider that the earth... And human history is the most extraordinary home ever built. It's useful to think through, hey, look, if you see a house, you think somebody designed the house, somebody built the house, and somebody got the people to live in the house. When you see the earth and when you see human history, somebody designed the thing, somebody built the thing, and somebody got people to live in the thing. And so the analogy that I find to be somewhat helpful to understand the Trinity is this. God the Father is the architect. He's the designer. Somebody's got to plan what this thing is going to look like. And so God the Father is introduced to us as he who is, who was, and who is to come. 
He is presented as the self-existent one, the great I am, Yahweh, the one who is sovereign over the past, the present, and the future, the one who has designed all things, and all things have come into being in accordance with his will and his plan. And God the Father is the architect, he's the designer, he's the one who says, this is the way it's all going to work. Now, as a side note, Notice he's introduced as him who is, who was, and who is to come. Who is present, who was past, and who is to come future. Anything strange about that order? Present, past, future? What would we expect? Past, present, future. Who was, who is, and is to come. But remember, the book of Revelation is not ultimately about the future. It's about the present. And God as, God the Father, as the architect and designer, what's being emphasized is his architecture and design of the present. And so the present is foregrounded here. Next up is from the seven spirits before his throne. That is the sevenfold spirit or the Holy Spirit. In the analogy, if God the Father is the architect... God the Spirit is the realtor or the moving company, really both. Having a well-designed, amazing house doesn't do anybody any good unless somebody moves you into it, unless you actually get to live in the house and experience it and enjoy it. This is what the Holy Spirit does. The sevenfold spirit language comes out of the book of Zechariah chapter four. It's where the passage is where God says, not by might or by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. In other words, again, the emphasis is on the present, that God is with us, that it's not just some cool house that's been designed that we might get to live in in the future, that God is actively present, causing us to move into his plans and his designs today. And then the third, Jesus Christ. Now again, anything strange about the order? We've got God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son. What might we have expected? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But remember, the book of Revelation is the revealing of Jesus, and so he's pushed into a place of emphasis And more is said about him than God the Father, God the Spirit. So in our analogy, if God the Father is the architect and God the Spirit is the realtor, then Jesus is the builder. He's the one who takes the plans and builds the house. He's the one who takes God the Father's designs and causes them to come to exist. Otherwise, they're simply designs in the mind of God, but Jesus builds the house, which is why he is called the faithful witness. That's a reference to his incarnation. He came to bear witness to God's love for us. He's also called the firstborn from the dead. That's a reference to his crucifixion and his resurrection. 
Jesus died so that we might experience the eternal life that Revelation is talking about that God planned for us. His death and resurrection makes that possible. And he's also called the ruler of the kings of the earth. This is a reference to Jesus' ascension. And again, notice, it doesn't say that Jesus will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The emphasis is on the present. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And when he ascended to heaven, God seated him on the throne and said, sit here until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus is reigning and ruling over all things. His incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension. Jesus built and is building and will build the house that God the Father designed. God the Father, the architect. God the Son, the builder. God the Spirit, the realtor and the moving company that gets us into what God has for us. This is the God that wrote this book. Now maybe you're saying, well, thank you. I did already believe that God wrote the book of Revelation. Maybe you didn't know that, but it's supposed to be blatantly clear that he did. And maybe you are already saying, I do believe that God is triune, that he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you didn't know that, this is, a, again, an encouragement and a reminder, this is the God that we believe in. But you might be asking, okay, so what's the point for us today? And the point is this. Stick with me. We've got to work our way through this. In the book of Revelation, God is making it blatantly clear that he's the author. He's making it clear that he is the author as architect, builder, and realtor of the future. But when you read the book of Revelation, it should become blatantly clear that the future that God has designed will build and will move us into is a future that is not simply vague. This is not just sort of a kind of a prediction of what might happen. It's not sort of an account of, well, like these people might do these things and those governments might do those things and God might do these things and these angels might be involved this way. The book of Revelation is very specific about the future. It is very specific about some things that are going to happen. It's very specific about timing kinds of things. It's also very blatant and very clear that God is the one who's doing the stuff in the book of Revelation. Humans are involved, but God is in control. He's the one who decides when the judgments happen. He is the one who decides that there is silence in heaven for 30 minutes. He is the one who decides when the saints get vindication and when they have to wait for more. He is the one who decides it is now time for the false prophet and the beast to arise and to begin to lead people astray uh, through their own choice but he's the one that allows them to do it in his timing. He's the one who ranges how the millennial kingdom will work, how judgment will work. And as you read through the book of Revelation, what is supposed to be blatantly clear is God is not just the author of the book, he's the author of all the events. That he's not just writing down what might happen. He is planning and designing and building and moving us into what is coming. 
and that what is often hidden becomes blatantly clear is that God is the author of all things. That God is in control, that everything that will happen in the future will be planned by God, built by God, and executed by God. You may say amen, thank you. But that's not the end of the good news. Remember, the emphasis in the book of Revelation is not on the future, it's on the present the one who is, who was, and is to come. The sevenfold spirit that is present with us now. The fact that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords now. And here is the point. The same God who is blatantly involved in writing this book is the one who is the architect and builder and realtor of the future and the one who is the architect, the builder, and the realtor of right now. That everything that is happening in this world today is happening under the authorship, the guidance, and the direction of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That God the Father is planning, designing, architecting, all things that are happening now. That God the Spirit is moving us into God the Father's plans now. That Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords and exercising all his authority to build the Father's plans now. You see, when I read the news this week, I thought... This world and this country is out of control. I don't know about you, I read about sex scandals. Christian leaders in local church and in some national institutions. I read about another police shooting. I read about protests and riots. I read about wildfires. I read about hurricanes, and of course I read about COVID-19. And those were just the stories I could get through this week. And you look around in the world today, and I don't know about you, but to me I say, what in the world is going on? It feels completely out of control. But the problem is, too many of us are asking the question or paying attention to what are humans doing in the midst of this? We're asking the question, what does the CDC have to say about this? What are the Republicans saying about it? What are the Democrats proposing about this kind of stuff? What do the police have to say? What does society have to say? What are sports leagues deciding to do? What's my school deciding to do? What does the superintendent have to say about this? What do teachers think about these things? What does this opinion piece say about this? What does the media have to say about this? And we're asking the question, what do humans, can they help us make sense of what's going on? And I don't know about you, but I have gotten to the point where when I look around at what's going on in this country and in this world, there is no longer a human explanation for all this stuff. 
I look around and I say, you cannot explain all that's happening in this country and in this world simply on the basis of medical science or on the basis of political science or on the basis of systemic racism or on the basis of political correctness or on the basis of media manipulation or on the basis of government dysfunction. You cannot explain all the stuff that's happening. I sit back and I say, what in the world is going on? And every human explanation I hear falls short. And the book of Revelation is speaking to us today to say, we're asking the wrong question. And the question is not, what are humans up to? The question is, what is God doing? God is the architect. God is the builder. God is the realtor. God is the one. When you read this book, there should be no question that God is absolutely, totally, and completely in control of everything that will happen in the future. Humans are involved. We're still making choices. We'll read the book and see us. John's still part of this. But in the end, God's control and design and action is what is foregrounded. And the purpose is for us to realize today all that stuff is still true. See, when I cast lots for this book, it wasn't clear to me that God was involved. He was involved. It wasn't clear to me. When we got to the elders and the unity of these godly men independently all coming up with the book of Revelation, God's involvement became more clear. God didn't get more involved. His involvement became more clear. And then I could go back and thank him for the casting lots. When you read the Gospel of Luke, God's involvement is not that clear. He's just as involved. It's just not as blatant that he's involved. When you get to the book of Revelation, God's involvement in the authorship of the book is blatantly clear, which allows us to go back to the gospel of Luke and say, oh, he's here too. God's control and design of the future, God's building of the future, God's presence in the future is blatantly clear in the book of Revelation, and the point is supposed to be is just as involved today, even though it's not clear, even though he's hidden. And the question we need to spend more time as a church and as individuals asking, what is God up to? Is God judging us for our sins? Is God bringing about the fall of American society because of our pride and our arrogance? Is God trying to throw down idols here? Is God trying to warn us about something? Is God trying to get us to learn something about himself? Is God trying to prepare the way for the gospel to come forward in a special way? What is God up to? And when you read the book of Revelation, it doesn't so much matter what all the people are deciding to do. What matters is what is God doing? And that's what we're supposed to be figuring out now. God's the architect. God's the builder. God's the one who moves us into these things. And the question we ought to ask in all the chaos, what is God trying? He's trying to say something. <laughs> it's not fully clear to me what he's trying to say, but he's trying to say something. But to be honest, 
When I try to talk to people about, well, what's God up to? That, most of us want to talk about what do people have to say? Well, this guy's doing this, and that governor's doing that, and that candidate's doing this, and that person says this, and this institution's doing that. And the book of Revelation says, well, what's God doing? Of course, that begs the all-important question. Okay, what is God doing today? My answer is, unfortunately, that's not what this sermon is about. (laughs) But that is what this sermon series is about. I don't think God's going to answer the question today. I think he's going to answer it over the next 30 some weeks. And the purpose for going through the book of Revelation is we are in extremely confusing times. There is a lot of sin involved. There's a lot of other things going on. There's a lot of deep-seated stuff that God's trying to root out, bring to the surface, do all sorts of stuff with. And his intention is by showing us his very blatant, clear control of the future. Help us to understand what he's up to today. So I have more modest goals for this sermon. And my modest goal is simply this. I would like us as a church and us as individuals, so you can do this at the individual level. You can ask, what, God, what is God up to in the disobedience my child is engaged in? He's up, God is up to something. I know your child is up to something. God is up to something as well. What is God up to in that health diagnosis that I got this week? He's up to something. The cells and the other things may be up to things, but he's up to something. What is God up to in that new baby brother that you got this year? God's up to something. What is God up to in not allowing you to go back on campus uh, for classes uh, this fall? He's up to something. And so my more modest goal for this sermon is to beg and plead and encourage us to stop spending so much time asking what are human institutions doing? What are the sports leagues up to? What is society up to? What are the presidential candidates up to? What are all these people? What does the media have to say? And to realize the question we should be asking is, what is God up to? And if we will start asking that question now, God can then begin to answer that question through the book of Revelation. And I think the answer is complex enough that I can't give it to you in 10 minutes. I don't get that. I don't even think I get it. But the promise of God is, if you will read this book aloud, if you will take to heart what God is trying to say about the present, he will reveal it to us. Which is why the one takeaway from this sermon, besides change the question, is I would like to invite you to come with us on a journey of fasting and prayer that we might hear from the Lord. Bill Askell, the chairman of our elders, is going to come up in just a minute and explain just a little bit more about that and why we feel this is what God's calling us to do. But the hidden things belong to God. The revealed things belong to us and our children forever. God is present in the world today. These are his designs. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is building something. The Holy Spirit is among us doing work. 
we will not know it or see it or understand it unless God reveals it to us. And so as a church, we're going to gather together and collectively fast and pray and ask God, please God, what are you up to? Let's pray together. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.